Good morning. How is everyone? Thumbs up? Okay. Our prayer bowls, so if you have a prayer request or a praise report, you have the trumpet bowl and the prayer bowl. If you put it in there, we'll pray for it right away, immediately. Probably go out to about 40 different people. Just pray over your prayer. And then it'll get prayed for at least once a month from there. A lot of people on our prayer thing and our, our prayer on Saturday morning. So please uh, let us know on that as far as prayer goes. Um, you have this flyer there. Um, and on the back of some of them are some resources as far as uh, what's going on, biblically prof- prophecy, a lot of them are, are that, but just teaching about what's going on. So I want to take a moment uh, in a minute to just take that flyer and in the quietness of your heart, read it as prayers to God. But before we do that, I want to talk about Wednesday night a little bit. We're doing a series now that was really, we, we decided to go a different direction. We're going to go in the book of Colossians, which was the next book. We're going to do it. We're doing a series that started this past Wednesday. What in the world is going on? How many of you would say, yeah, what in the world is going on? <laughs> God knows what's going on. So a biblical worldview, three things, a biblical worldview, Bible prophecy, and a biblical response to current events. A lot of stuff going on, and I have found myself, and you could listen 24 hours a day and still not be able to take in everything that's going on. And there's a lot of really good stuff out there. There's probably some other stuff that's not so good. So here's what, what the, sort of the gist of our Wednesday night studies will be as long as the Lord directs it, as far as keeping on. First of all, God is on his throne. Always has been, always will be. Amen? So with that, there are three things as far as what's going on in the world. It's a crazy world right now. Three things we must not allow. Number one, that our God to be too small. Okay? Secondly, our hearing to be too passive. So we need to engage with the Lord through his word and what's going on, what he's told us. And Jesus said, watch and pray. Watch and be ready. So secondly, we must, we must make sure our hearing is not... Is, doesn't get passive. The final thing is our love and unity to be, we must not allow it to to become less important. We need to be together, knit together, endeavoring to keep the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. So there's three things that God will do in this little series that we're going through. Biblical worldview, Bible prophecy, and a biblical response to current events. Three things God will do. Number one, increase our faith. How many of you just say, yeah, I need that? Increase our faith. Secondly, he's going to renew our hope. And then finally, he is going to eradicate our fears. So this series that we're doing, we're taking it one, one we started with uh, last Wednesday on, the, on Adam, with Adam, the fall. What happened? This is a biblical worldview. We want to know, what is God, what, what's the problems here? Well, you got to start where God starts. If you take chapter three of Genesis out of the Bible, go from one, two to four, you go, what happened? You look at the world today, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. Man sinned against God. And we talked about that on Wednesday night. This week, we're going to, t- we're going to look at Noah. And Jesus said, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. There's coming some, probably should have already happened, judgment. God's going to be judging the world. And we are not appointed to the wrath of God. Say amen. 
as believers, we are not appointed to wrath. Jesus took the wrath of God and released the mercy of God on the cross for we who believe. So my question, just in talking about Wednesday night, if you're here, do you know Jesus? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? He loves you. He died on a cross for you. God, we'll look at that this morning. He came and revealed himself to us in order that we might know God and walk with God. And you might think of eternal life as this, you know, forever and ever sort of thing on the cloud with harp. No, Jesus said eternal life is this, that you might know the only true God. Do you know him? I'll tell you, to know him is to know life, to know hope, to know peace, to know that, yeah, we may not be able to answer the questions that are going on, but God is the one who is the answer. So looking to him. So I could go on and on and on, but that's what's going on Wednesday night. There it is. Okay. Stan, would you please? Mark chapter 12, verse 35. Uh, uh, hold on a second. Hold on. Sit down. <laughs> I forgot about this. Okay. So would you just take that in your hand, just quietly in your heart before the Lord, just read through those bullet points, and then I'll, I'll just for about a minute. And this is, these are, are some of our prayers for what's going on right now in Israel. So, Lord, we just pray, and we pray, we pray. You have called us to do that. So we pray for Israel. We pray, as Psalm there says, for the peace of Jerusalem. We ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would answer these prayers that are written here, that were sent by someone who lives there, that you would answer these prayers. Work, Lord, grant to us your inner strength, that we know the width and length and depth and height, we'd be able to pray and keep on praying. And like you said, pray lest you enter into temptation. Help us, Lord, please. These are our prayers. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. So would you please stand in the, for the reading of the Bible? We're going to be in Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 44, and then we'll do a little responsive reading. We're working our way through, this, through Psalm 119. Longest chapter in the Bible, it's all about the Word of God. Almost every verse has something about God's Word. We know that the Word is alive and powerful. So here we go. Mark chapter 12 and verse 35. Then Jesus answered and said while he taught in the temple, How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the Son of David? For David himself said, By the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. He's quoting Psalm 110. Therefore, David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. Verse 38. Then he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Verse 41, now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. 
Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes eight quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. So Psalm 119, I'll read verse 105 in the odd, if you would read together 106 in the even verses, and then I'll pray. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. So, Lord, incline our hearts to your word right now. I ask, Lord, you'd help me to communicate your heart to your people from your word by your Holy Spirit. And will you give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying? Lord, we're hungry. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And we are to really desire after our spiritual food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. We're thankful for your word. We take heed to your word. We ask your blessing on it now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you be seated? So the disciple and the lordship of Jesus. The lordship controversy, as it was known, was prominent in the 1980s. The question that they were trying to answer, is it necessary to accept Christ as Lord in order to have him as one Savior? Put another way, if someone accepts Christ as Savior without explicitly accepting him as Lord, is such a person truly saved? I think they're important questions. Pastor John MacArthur wrote a book which became somewhat controversial called The Gospel According to Jesus, What is Authentic Faith? It stirred a ton of debates. What does it mean to be saved? The, the, this whole buzz phrase of easy believism rose to the surface for a while. It fueled many disputes. A.W. Pink said, quote, no one can receive Christ as his savior while he rejects him as Lord. Matthew Henry, a commentator, wrote, quote, all the grace in the Bible is owing to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and unless we consent to him as our Lord, we cannot expect any benefit by him as our Savior, unquote. So this tension is the very essence of the commandment that we looked at last week to love. It's the relationship between faith and works. James addresses this, so that's the book to go to, to get God's commentary on that whole way of faith and works. The age-old tension, this whole tension, Paul addressed it. We just went through the book of Philippians, but I'd like to just read some verses from there. This is the tension. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He is God. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. God himself took on human form to die on a cross for you and for me. He goes on. Therefore, okay, the therefore, whenever you read therefore, you say, what's it there for? <laughs> therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is Lord. He is Lord of lords, King of kings. He went through this whole uh, revelation to us, came to earth, died on a cross, rose again. He is now exalted as King of kings and Lord of lords. And listen, every knee will confess that. Now, it may be under duress, but not for the believer. For the believer, it's under desire. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior. And so I approach this topic this morning as a believer, because as I read these things, you can start to get sort of this tainted negativity to Jesus being Lord. He is anything but negative. It's the most positive thing that can ever happen to us when Jesus becomes the Lord of our lives. It's the greatest freedom. It's the greatest of truth and light and peace and hope and grace and mercy because he is Lord over my life. So Peter, I mean, John, Paul goes on to write verse 12, therefore, another therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now also much more in my absence. He hasn't been there. And then when he was there with them, they were obeying. He said, now in my absence... Work, here it is, the tension. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. If God isn't working in us, we're hopeless. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. He is my Master. Vance Havner said, what our Lord said about cross-bearing and obedience is not in fine type. It is bold print in the face of the contract, unquote. We are called to obey God and follow him even to the point of the cross and laying down our lives for him as our Savior, yes, but as our Lord. The Greek word kurios can mean teacher who has authority over disciples, the master who has command over servants, or the Lord who has power over all. With Jesus all three meanings apply, unquote. For Jesus to be Lord of your life means that he is the ruler, the boss, the master of your whole life. He cannot be Lord of a part. He must be given control of the entire life, the whole life, unquote. My encouragement to each and every believer in this room this morning, Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my Lord. You can say the same thing. He is your Savior. He is your Lord. And it's God who works in you to will and do what pleases your master, your boss, the teacher. And we must come from it from that point where God, we have been saved by grace through faith. And our, our faith is the working out of our faith. We work from salvation, not for it. And the desire to be sanctified, the desire to live my... You're here this morning because you desire to hear from God. 
You desire to grow in your faith in God. You desire to grow in the sanctification process. And that's going to be a working out process because it's God who works in it. So he says, work it out because God's working for you, working in you. He wants your life to be changed and sanctified and set apart for him more and more and more. And I, I don't know about you, but I, well, I do know because it's true of all of us. Man, how I wish we'd get it over with. Can we just be done with this sanctification stuff? Can we just be done with this fumbling around and falling here and there and falling into the same traps I fell into when I was 30? It's God who works in us to will. So what's our, what is our response? Lord, make me willing. Make me willing. You're the master. You're the boss. As I said last week, I tell the Lord all the time, you chose me, so I'm your problem. But we have a part in that. As, as the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed in my absence, not in my presence, but also in my absence, work it out. Brothers and sisters, would you receive that as an encouragement this morning? Work it out, because God's working with you. And he isn't giving up on us. He's not giving up on you. In fact, if you're wrestling with things, it only indicates the fact that you haven't given up on God either. Your desire, your, your longing for the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So the Lordship of Jesus Christ, if this helps, this is my outline. The Lord Jesus makes me a glad disciple. Yeah. The common people heard him gladly. It's just, whoa, this is, wow, yeah. The Lord Jesus makes me a glad disciple. Who, who, who else am I going to go to? Where are you going to go? And, you know, well, we'll get to it. I'm getting ahead of myself. The Lord Jesus makes me a genuine disciple. Are you the real deal with God? That's the work he does. Because salvation is the real deal. Salvation is real to us. When you're born again, it's like the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 3. So what does that mean to be born again? I'll tell you what it means. Change life. It results in something different about my life and about your life. And the Lord Jesus makes me a giving disciple. And certainly God is a giving God. And so the Lord makes me a glad disciple. He answered and said to them, well, I taught them, how is it that the scribes say that the, that the Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David himself calls him Lord. How then, how is he then his son? How does that work? So Jesus now is the one asking the questions. And this is an important question. Because if we are wrong about Jesus, we are wrong about salvation. Who is he? He affirms that the Holy Spirit inspired the word of God. So we read it, as I've said many times, you read it, God's speaking. You hear it, God's speaking. You memorize it, God's speaking. You think of thought on it, God's speaking. You can be assured that it's guaranteed. Read it, that's what God said. He whispers something, you hear a song, a scripture song, it goes through your mind. God's speaking, God's speaking. That's the word of God. And Jesus affirms that David spoke by the Holy Spirit. I'm getting excited. <laughs> it's incredible. So 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture 
is given by inspiration of God. God breathed. It's profitable for what? Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Why? That the man of God, the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You want your life changed? Read the Bible. You need correction? Read your Bible. You need, you need instruction in righteousness? Read your Bible. And keep reading it. And keep listening to it. When you're in your car, you've got 20 minutes, put on a Bible study. Put on someone reading the Word. It, the intake of that is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's alive. It's not like any other book. I'm getting more excited. It's incredible. I counted just this amazing work of the Lord that directed my path. I would never be what I'm, do, what I, never do what I'm doing this morning with you were it not for my pastor who said, just feed the, feed the sheep, feed the sheep, feed the sheep, give them the word of God. And I believe so deeply, as you know, I believe so deeply that if we'll just keep, stick to the word, God will do the work he's wanting to do. He will do it. He will accomplish it. It doesn't happen. That's one of the big problems we all have. Uh, could you speed it up a little bit, Lord? I mean, stay at it. Keep feasting, keep taking in the word of God, the precepts in Psalm 119, the precepts of God, because it'll change your life. With that, when someone's born again by the spirit of God, what the devil wants to do is rip off the seed. Sort of make some difficulties so they get away from the word of God. They get away from fellowship. He has, that's his goal. That's what he does. That's what he's very, he's astute at it. He has schemes, devices by which he gets just separate. So as a newborn babe desired what? The pure milk of the word. Can you imagine a, chi- a newborn child with no mom, no bottle, no nothing? They're going to last very short. But you give them that that pure milk of the word, you start feeding, they start to grow. And I believe that many people come to know Christ, they never have a feeding from the word of God, and they're spiritually shriveled up until pretty soon, they're not, they're not going to church. Why? Because they never got fed. And once you get fed the word of God, you, can't, you go somewhere where it's not, and you feel like you went away without a meal. So this Jesus affirming that the Holy Spirit spoke through, G, through David. Now, in the patriarchal society, the father ruled over the son. That's it. They might be 80, they might be 90, whatever. The father ruled over the son. There was no way a father would ever say to his son, you're the Lord. That's what Jesus is asking. How is that then? How does that work? In what sense is the Messiah the son of David? He would be the son of David as a human descendant of the lineage of David. But the Messiah would be much more (laughs) than David's son. We'll be looking at David also in our Wednesday night studies. The explanation is very simple. It's the incarnation. That's how. How is it? Because Jesus is much more than a human son of David. Isaiah, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name what? Emmanuel. When the angel came to Mary, you call him Emmanuel. God with us. Incredible. That's how. God himself to Mary said, how can this be? Mary said, how can this be? I don't know a man. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now that should make us pretty glad. 
That's how. He's the son of God. He is the incarnate second person of the, of the Godhead. The Messiah is indeed descended from David, but he's been exalted. He came, he humbled himself. We read that in Philippians. And now he's been exalted. He is Lord. He is the king of kings. Mole said, because although he is his son from descent and therefore is junior in age, he is also in some mysterious way superior to David and therefore he is his, his senior in rank, unquote. He is the anointed one. He is the appointed king. He came into Jerusalem. We, we studied that in Mark. He came in on Palm Sunday. He came in on a donkey. It, it, he came in peace to make peace. And they rejected him. That did not lower his status. None of that. He is the son of God. And the common people heard him gladly. <laughs> I'm not sure they fully understood him. But man, I think, at least in part, they're hearing these religious hypocrites for so long. And no doubt they could see, through most, they could see right through it. And here is Jesus. And he took them down a notch. Two or three notches. And they're looking at that going, and then hearing him gladly, wow. The religious leaders opposed Jesus. These common people did not. I would say to you, application, it's good to just be common. Because in being just common, we are so glad that our Jesus humbled himself, was born in a manger, came not as a pot, he just came to give his life for you and for me. I agree. Why am I glad? I agree with the Holy Spirit. It's what fills my heart with joy. I believe in the scriptures as being inspired by the Holy Spirit, God himself. I acknowledge that Jesus is a son of God, the Lord of all. You talk about gladness? And let me tell you, it's hard in this life, in this world in which we live, to be glad. But there's coming a time when we will stand before him as king of kings and lord of lords, it will be no problem to be glad. Glad of what? Glad it's over. <laughs> Amen. The king of kings is reigning on earth for a thousand years. We're glad that other side is over. It might be sooner than we think. I have to read this from C.S. Lewis in context of what we're talking about. From mere Christianity, many of you have probably heard something about, heard parts of this. But he says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg <laughs> or else the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. He goes on, you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet, call him Lord and God, and, but let, let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great moral teacher. He has not left that open to us, he did not intend to, unquote. 
we fall at his feet. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. The Lord of glory who came and died on a cross. Ah, you know, let, let the Lord, you know, come down from the cross. Would have been the worst thing that could have happened. Oh, how he loves us. And he wants the gladness of his love and joy and to be saturating everything that we think about because he is Lord. He is on the throne. He makes me also a genuine disciple. The real deal with God. Now these religious leaders were far from anything like that. And he said to him in his teaching, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes. Love greetings in the marketplaces. The best seats in synagogues. The best places at feasts. Everything they did was to be noticed by men. To be accolades of men. It's so fleeting and such a flicker of anything that has any substance. Enjoy it, it's all you get. But oh, to bask in the applause of Jesus, in the acceptance of Jesus, in the appreciation that we have in knowing him. That's that whole, we talked about last, last week, you got that vertical axis of our relationship with God and the horizontal, and theirs with God was like that, off kilter. So they love to be seen by men. They love the accolades. It's so fleeting. It's so fleeting so empty. They, now notice this, verse 40, they devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. So Jesus, he, he condemns this grandiose conduct, this greed, this hypocrisy. Instead of pointing people's attention to God, they claimed it for themselves under the pretense of piety. Hypocrisy is one of the most appalling things particularly when it comes to those who are standing as God's representatives, God's mouthpiece, God communicating. They're dishonest and cruel. The scribes were the lawyers of that day. When a husband would die, they would draw up legal papers. They'd give their homes to the temple and take the proceeds for themselves and leaving widows penniless, and many times homeless. Wow. It's no wonder Jesus says, woe to you. They would take advantage of people in their vulnerability, in their hunger, in their grief. When a man died, they were the first ones on the scene. And then they feigned comforting with long prayers. But they're, all, they're there to secure some money, more money for themselves. As they're drawing up the papers, whatever face was on, it was drawing their money to put into their bank accounts. Unfortunately, televangelists do the same thing, many of them. I'm praying for you. They send out letters. I'm praying for you. Send in your requests. And don't forget the check. 
and people give and they go build mansions and fly Learjets. Anything but communicating the heart of God and giving to the people the things that God wants for them. And Jesus said they will receive greater condemnation. James says, my brethren, let not many of you be teachers, knowing that we shall receive the stricter judgment. In other words, you want to teach it? Live it. Take to heart the things. Make me genuine, Lord. That I live for the attention and applause of you, not anyone else. That I live in being accountable to you, Lord, personally. That I don't take advantage of anyone ever. I've made it my prince, a principle of mine since I first started. That when there's a funeral, I will not take any money. If you want, if you want to give, you can, but not, not me. I think that's, in fact, Shard uh, and I are talking are we going to be cremated or buried? And for her, for Charlotte, which I understand, and we just did a memorial for, for Ron Hughes, the cost of buying things and is, is, like, ridiculous. And yet, there's this, this important part of laying your loved one to rest I'm not saying that you can't, uh, it's not important to have a business doing that. I'm just saying when I was listening to these, I'm going, are you, wow. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet. Charlotte says, yeah, well, you need to know what you want to do so we, they don't have to figure it out. But people hungry for God should never be taken advantage of. People that are grieving should never be taken advantage of. That's the heart of God. That's what he wants his representative, his pastors, whatever it is, to be communicating that God cares about you. I'm not here to make a buck. The labor is worthy of his wages. The Bible says that those who teach the word should be supported by those who are being taught. I get all that. I understand that. But God help me and God help us because money can be such a persuasive detriment to our very character. Will God take care of us? You bet he will. And he has. We give him the right place. We'll look at, that's the next one. The next, we give him the right place. We give our money and put it where God says to put it and handle it as God says to handle it. He will Pour, open up the windows of heaven and pour out so great a blessing you can't even contain it. You have no idea what God will do unless you yourself are, command, are doing what he told you to do in obedience to him as God. That's in every area of life. Lord, make us genuine and make us giving. This next story is, he said, opposite the treasury. 
Saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. Whoa. Then the poor, one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrant. So he calls his disciples. Hey, hey, guys, come here, come here. And said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. Two quadrants is one-twentieth of a penny. To the world, you might as well not even put it in there. To God, she became an example of how you should put it in there. As a, as from devotion to God. Jesus said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Do your charitable deeds so that no one's taking record of it in that sense of, oh, you put in, wow. Many of these went with big shows. They had these 13, they call them trumpets, where they put their money, like the trumpet and 13 of them. Okay, I'm going to put in a thousand dollars. Again, soak it in. It's all you get. Woo. The applause of men is so fickle. Money cannot buy you the heart of God. But it can be used to communicate the heart of God. It can be Managed in such a way that it's in line with the heart of God. So we need to be thoughtful in what we do with our money. We need to be careful in how we give. Notice he didn't say what, how they were giving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul said, This I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. This is an agricultural law, but it's also a law, a spiritual law of what we do with our money. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's the context of what Paul's talking about. So that each one give notice as he purposes in his heart. You need to take your heart to God with your finances. You need to ask him what he says. How you should trust him with your finances. How you should, you should honor him with the first fruits of your increase. Which is called tithing. And tithing, is, the word means 10%. God says, here's, his, here's the principle. I'm going to give you everything. Everything you have is from me, 100%, whether you like to acknowledge or not. I'm the one who, who's given you all things. And he says to enjoy. You're to give me a tenth back as your way of staying in line with my heart. That I'm the one that provides for you. I'm the one that takes care of you. So you get to, to decide on 90%. God says that 10% you give to me and it will be my my leaders, whatever, who will decide on that. That's tithing. The means of the giver and the motive are the measure of true generosity. One poor widow came. She didn't even know Jesus was looking at her. Didn't matter to her. She knew God. And was in, this was in devotion to, to him. Now, another point, just practically, as far as the church goes. I nor our pastors know who gives what. We don't want to know. Because we know the heart. We know what happens. It's so on the edge. All the, oh, oh, wow, we better make sure whatever. We don't know. We don't want to know. 
Now, I would be remiss in the same context to say to you that God has an economic plan. He has a way by which he's saying, tithing is your means of him blessing you. In Malachi chapter 3, many of you know it well, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this. This is the only time that I know of in the Bible where God says, test me. King James, test me in this. Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out so great a, such a blessing that you will not have room enough to receive it. He's not saying if you put $50 in the offering, he's going to give you 150 What he's saying is the principle of your money has spiritual ramifications. So when you take the money, the money that got, and the, book, the Bible is full of stuff about money because it's such a temptation. It's such, it can be such a tripping point. He's saying, you let me. You come under my lordship in the area of your finances. And you tithe. And I believe it's to that place where you're being fed. And you do that. The spiritual blessings of God, which are countlessly more valuable than any dollar amount, will be, he'll open up the windows of heaven, pour out so great a blessing you can't even receive it. That's what happens. Do I understand that? I don't understand that, how that works. But I will tell you this, I do understand that God is faithful and what he said here has been a part of what I've experienced in the blessings of God. It's amazing how God provides out of nothing. How he takes care of it. And this shows up and that shows up. You know, like you're planning, okay, well, I got my budget set and then bam, something happens. Your car gets ruined. How's it working? Oh, well, you know what? I, I'm going to, that, that tithe, I got to use that for the car. Don't do it. It's a trick. You can miss out on the blessings of God. That's the first fruits of your increase should go to that. So I'm, I hope I'm not laboring too long on this. Just to say to you, God wants to bless your life. He does that through many ways in giving, but one of the most important ones to line up with because it's such a huge area. In fact, the statistics are of those professing believers that they tithe about 1% overall. That's gone down over the few years that I've been pastoring. So she gives this one-tenth, this, uh, excuse me, this one-twentieth of a penny. She put in more than all Poverty stricken by earthly standards, exceedingly rich in heavenly treasures. This woman. You see, it's not how much I give that counts, but how much I keep for myself. It's God got his due. God does not measure by the amounts we give, but by what it costs us. But it really doesn't cost us because we're simply trusting him and honoring him. I'm afraid that much of our earthly gold is never transferred into heavenly treasures. May God help us, amen? May he help us. So the Lord Jesus makes me a giving disciple. That by giving, I'm talking not just money now, by giving my life to my Lord in obedience to his commands, I will amount to more to all that Jesus treasures. That's what happens. When I give my life to him as Lord, I amount to all of Jesus' treasures. That in giving, I account my money 
as belonging to God. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Can I have the worship team come up and the guys are going to serve communion go back and prepare that for us? Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Wow, yeah. It says there, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. God will never be our debtor. He's always way out ahead of us, wanting to bless us, wanting to take the things. Know this for sure, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. God's not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you've shown toward the saints and that you have ministered and do minister. Stay giving your life for the things of God in obedience to the things of God, in obedience to the things that he's put in front of you, responsibility, stay at it and give your life and continue to give your life into God's hands to direct you to be fruitful in the things that you have responsibilities-wise and resources-wise. So we're going to take communion. Um, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You know in the Bible, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Communion is a holy segment of our time together. Jesus says, after you drink the bread and drink the cup, you do proclaim his death till he comes. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Fantastic. So as you get that cup that has both the cup, uh, the, the juice and the wafer in it, we'll take it together as the church Communion is for the believer, not the unbeliever. If you haven't known, come to know Christ, we're going to ask you to just let that pass you by because we're taking this in remembrance of Jesus. We're taking this in declaring his death. We're saying, Jesus died for my sin. I needed a Savior. So Paul in Corinthians talks about that. I'll read that as I come up to pray after it's passed out. So right now, whatever the Lord's kind of ministering to you, whatever you're thinking about. This is just a, a segment we take every month, once a month. Hold the bread and hold the body, and it just is re, it's a remembrance of Jesus. It's saying, I thank you, Lord, for the crucifixion that you died for my sin. Your body was given. And it says we do proclaim his death till he comes. He's coming soon. We're in the middle. <laughs> we can look back at what he's done and rejoice in that and pray to God for that. But then he hasn't come yet. So look, brothers and sisters, I don't know what's coming this week for you or for me, but I know we need Jesus more than ever. And this is the time just to bring whatever it is that you're, you're conflicting about, whatever it is you're wondering about, whatever it is you're fearful about, hold that bread, hold that. We'll take it together. But just hold that and pray to God. Pray to the Lord. Lord, I'm remembering you and who you are, and what you've done. 
And my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. So let's do that now as it's passed out, and then I'll come up and we'll take it together.